0: There we go. Thank you, my dear. So again, my name is Mike Lilly. I'm one of the pastoral candidates here at King of Grace. It's my pleasure to bring God's Word to you today. If we could take just a moment and uh, pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the Word, for your Word, Lord. Thank you for your Spirit, which breathes life into it. Father, would you do that today as, as I preach. Would you breathe life into that, into hearts that you have prepared this week to receive the word. Lord, uh, do all that you intend. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Our message today will be out of Colossians 4, 2 through 6. If you'd Go to the next slide down. R.A. Torrey the dean of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles many years ago, um, in a book titled The Fundamentals, wrote, The most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Every great awakening in history, in the history of the church, from the time of the apostles until today, has been a result of Prayer. There have been great awakenings without preaching, and there have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization, but there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. Now while Tory is referencing revival, it's also true about our evangelism and our outreach. What Paul will speak to the Colossians today in our reading is the same thing. He's going to say, for you to be effective in your evangelism, to you to be effective in reaching your community, for me to be effective as a missionary and a church planter, you've got to pray. So let's take a moment now and look at our verse in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. It reads Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which. I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Personally, I cannot think of many verses that have had a greater impact during my life as a growing believer than this scripture. In a very real way, these verses center all that I hope to be as a believer, a man of prayer who is on mission with God to make known the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my goal in life. This is, this is the result of a core belief that I hold. That core belief comes from John 14.6. Where Jesus tells Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. Now if I believe that verse is true, then anyone who does not place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will die and spend eternity in hell. Yes, I believe there's a hell. I believe that they will spend eternity in the lake of fire where the fire will always burn and there will be worms that will always feast upon their bodies and yet they will never be consumed they will spend eternity in hell separated from God completely and forever and for all of eternity be without hope that's the reality if you believe what that passage says, that that Jesus is the only way, then everything else falls short. There is no other plan. That realization led me to prayer. And prayer led me to evangelism. And as funny as it may sound, evangelism led me back to prayer. Prayer it led me to desperate prayer in prayer I learned that it doesn't take long to start loving someone that you start praying for in fact I don't believe that you can pray for someone's salvation for long and not begin to start loving them That you can't start getting God's heart for those people that you're praying for That's how prayer works. God gives you his heart of compassion for that person. And when God gives you his heart of compassion for someone, you want to see them know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then it happens. God puts a fire in your spirit to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the alternative is unthinkable. This passage is what moved my heart and really my family, my wife, and my heart to come to Haverhill. This passage is is literally at the core of why I am in New England. And I I want to be able to declare the mystery of Jesus Christ, of his glorious gospel to those who have not heard. It is why I'm here. It's why men like Sean and Jacob moved their families here. Why Toby moved his family here. Why men like Alex, who we saw a few weeks ago, moved to another country. This passage is why I went to seminary so that I might know how to answer each person. And this passage is why, by God's immeasurably good grace and His power, we'll plant a church in Salem. So as we go into these next five verses today, I hope and I pray that God will place within you a passion for prayer That fires into flame Christ within you. And that fires into flame a passion to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my goal today. The verses we're looking at today are really a summary of what Paul has written throughout the entire letter to the Colossians. He boils it down really to two commands and one request. The first command, continue, Colossians, continue steadfast in prayer. The second, walk in wisdom. And in between those two commands, he makes a request. He says, Pray for me. Pray for me, pray for my team as we declare the mystery of God's glorious gospel to those who have not yet heard. So with that in mind, let's look at the first command in this passage. Paul writes in Colossians in verse 2 of chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, though this is one of the last commands that Paul gives in the book of Colossians, it really is a summary. It really brings to bear all the things that he's been talking about throughout the letter. And he's been setting an example for the Colossians since the opening of the book. So though Paul has never met them and they haven't seen a physical example of Paul's lifestyle of prayer, they get it just from being able to read and listen to his letter. So let's take a look at that. If you turn to uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we also have that to project. Paul starts off his letter after his initial greeting with We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul's example, just from this opening prayer, is that he prays in thankfulness. Paul is thankful as he prays for the Colossians. In fact, it says we That means his whole team that's with him. That's the attitude of their prayer when they pray for the Colossians. They're thankful for them. If you go down to verse 9, Paul tells us that all those who are with him, from the day they first heard of the Colossians' faith, have not ceased to pray. So Paul's example isn't only to be thankful, but it's also to pray regularly. In fact, you get from this sense when you read Paul's letters that prayer is Paul's lifestyle. He prays without ceasing. That is is just who he is. That is part of his day. There are set-apart times, it appears, but it just goes on throughout the day. That's who Paul is. He prays, and he prays without ceasing. Paul's example of prayer in that lifestyle is to be thankful and steadfast in his prayer. And how did Paul pray for the Colossian believers? Well, we can see that as well as we continue through verse 9 and into verse 14. He says, he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual knowledge and understanding. Paul prays that the Colossian believers would, there's a slide for this, that the Colossian believers would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord. That they would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power of God's glorious might. That's how he prays for them. And to what purpose are those prayers? That they would have all endurance. Colossians, my friends at Colossae, I want you to have all endurance. I want all patience with joy to be evidenced in you. I want you to be able to give thanks to God the Father. And I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember... That you were delivered out of the domain, the dominion of darkness, and into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You were delivered out. Don't forget that, because that'll motivate your prayers, church. For you, for me, remember where you came from. It will motivate your prayer. Because not many want to go back. And now, with the example of prayer laid out from the beginning of the book, Paul, in the closing of the letter, tells the Colossians now, you Colossians, all of you who make up the church in Colossae, pray like I've shown you. Pray with thanksgiving. And understand that the thankfulness here is thankfulness based on expectation of what God will do. In this passage, we don't actually see when he tells them to pray, to continue in steadfast prayer with thanksgiving. He hasn't given them anything to be, we're not given anything that they have a reason to be thankful for. So I would offer to you that it's a prayer made in faith, in expectation of what God will do. And it's why Paul tells them in this passage to be watchful. See, we pray and we expect and we watch for God to move and do things. And we are thankful because sometimes we can't see it. But we know that God is faithful that God is steadfast, even if I can't see what's going on. I'm going to be thankful, because God's at work. There are people I've been praying for for years. I don't know what God's doing, but I'm thankful because I believe that God is at work. And I am grateful, and I'm thankful, and I know that to be true, because people prayed for me. I know for 14 years people prayed for me. I wouldn't be here, I assume, if they didn't. I mean, I I believe that God would have done something. But I trust that God moved and was moving from the minute they started to pray for me. Paul says to be watchful in prayer. We're to be like watchmen. We're to be leaning in, looking out over to see what's god doing there's a great example of this in first kings 18 where the prophet elijah after three years of drought god tells him to pray for rain and he begins to pray and he sends his servant to look out over the cliffs hey what, is there anything out there do you see any clouds in the distance servant comes back nope don't see anything he continues to pray Elijah will send his servant six more times. but He just keeps praying steadfastly, praying in faith, trusting that God will be faithful to his word, that God will be faithful to answer his prayers. And on the seventh time, that servant comes up, goes out, and he says, I see a cloud no bigger than the size of my fist out in the distance. And immediately Elijah says, go and run and tell the king rain is coming. Just one little cloud out in the distance. He says, yes and amen. God has answered our prayer. We're to pray and we're to watch with expectation. What Paul wrote to the Colossians, and what he's writing to us, he could be saying, To though I have never met you, King of Grace, pray steadfastly. Being watchful in your prayers. Being thankful in your prayers. So, though I am no Paul, I want to encourage you also. Spend time in prayer. Set aside time for prayer each day. Pray for yourself, that God would give you direction for that day, that God would open doors for you today to declare his glorious gospel. Set time to pray for your small group. Pray for your family, for members in your family. Pray for your church. Pray for the leaders of your church. There's so much that you could pray for. Join us on Sunday mornings at 930 We meet in Pastor Paul's office. If you all come, we'll move someplace else because you will not all fit in there. But that's okay. I would love for that to happen. The history of this church was that on Saturday mornings in the 1920s, 120 to 140 men would gather every Saturday to pray for the salvation of this city. I would love to see that. I would love to see this church filled with men committed to prayer and praying for the salvation of the people of this city. Join us on Wednesday. I'd love to see 120 people Wednesday night, 730, right in here, praying for salvation in our city. It's in your bulletin, 730, Wednesday night. We're going to meet here as corporate church to pray join us this is real practical ways you can become involved in prayer it is the desire to see a clear witness to those who have not yet heard the gospel that motivates Paul to ask for prayer to make his request that comes in this next verse Paul asked the Colossian church That as they are praying, as they're praying steadfastly, as they're praying with expectation and watchfulness, as they're praying with thanksgiving, pray also for me. He says in verse 4, 3 and 4, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul tells the church, while you are praying steadfastly for one another, pray also for us. While you are praying and being watchful, being expectant of what God will do among you in your local church, pray also for us who are missionaries to people who have not yet heard. As you are praying with thanksgiving for one another, pray also for us who are starting churches in other communities, in other cultures, in other cities. What I love about this passage is Paul's confidence, not in himself, but in God's power. I say that Because it's a humbling experience to pray. It says, prayer, really, in its essence, says I am not capable as a human being, as a physical man, of making something occur. I can't do it. It's humbling. To ask someone else to pray for you is even more humbling. Because now I've got to go to other people and say, I'm weak can't do this and so that example that Paul sets for me as an individual you know a guy who I hold way up here in the realm of what it means to be a church planter a missionary and a theologian a guy named Paul he turns around to those around him and says you got to pray for me you've got to pray for me I can't do this without you So, Paul asks for prayer because he understands the enormity of the task before him. The task of evangelizing the Gentiles is overwhelming. If you were to think of the Gentiles as a mountain, and Paul as a mountain climber, then he would look at Mount Everest and go, that's nothing. The mission that Paul had is also our mission, and it is enormous mountain before us. And every one of us should be saying, pray for me. As I go to make the mystery of the gospel clear, that God would open a door and give me words to speak and that they would be clear words. Every one of us should be praying like that and asking for others to pray. That ought to be a small group prayer all the time. God, you know, I am, I'm going to be going this week, I'm going to meet these people, would you pray that God gives me an open door and gives me the words to speak, that I might speak it clearly as I ought. That's where we ought to be living, because the task is impossible So, his request here, if you could break it into two things. In short, Paul is asking for opportunity and effectiveness. Opportunity and effectiveness. That's what he's asking for. Pray that I'll have opportunities and pray that when I open my mouth, it's effective. It's important, though, that we understand who is the giver of the opportunity. Where does that opportunity come from? God. God is the giver of the opportunity. But Paul also recognizes it's incumbent upon him to be watchful for that opportunity. To see what God's doing. To be expecting God will give him those opportunities. It's up to God to open a door for the word, but it's up to Paul to speak. name is true for us. So Paul wants prayer so that the words he speaks might be clear and that the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, might be made known. Now, I want you to notice something here, and that is that Paul prays for opportunities, he prays for effectiveness in declaring the gospel But there is no discussion of people coming to Christ, of being saved. No discussion of that. Why is that? It isn't because Paul understands God's responsibilities and his responsibilities. As a missionary, he takes the opportunities that God presents. And he clearly presents the message of the gospel. But he understands that it is God who saves. See, my best words will fall flat every time. Unless God changes the heart of a man or a woman. I am desperate for God to do that. And yet my obedience, my pleasing to God, the things that I'm required to do are to speak it clearly, to make that word known. When God, to see the opportunity and to step into that opportunity when it's given me to proclaim the gospel. But understanding that it's God who saves. It's God who provides that opportunity. It's God who has to stir the heart of the hearer to receive the message of salvation. So be encouraged by that. When you share the gospel, you're being obedient to what God has called you to do. If someone doesn't come to Christ, keep praying. Wait for another opportunity. But it isn't up to you to save them. That's God. Only God can save. It is God who turns the heart of the unbeliever, delivering them from the domain of darkness and transferring them to the kingdom of his Son we must remember that God and God alone draws God gives us the opportunities sometimes in foreign countries sometimes in another city sometimes right next door but we have to be open we have to be watchful for those opportunities so let me challenge you that as you are praying For those who are sent, and I do challenge you to pray for those who are sent. As you're praying for people like Alex and Betsy, who visited us a few weeks ago, or Sean in East Cambridge, or Jacob in Manchester, I want to encourage you to pray for them. Pray that they will have an open door. Pray that they will have an open door and pray that they'll speak it clearly that they will speak clearly so that the mystery of the gospel is made known and ask God for a harvest finally on that same point I humbly would ask you to continue to pray continue to pray as we continue to work through a church plant in Salem. Pray now that a door will be open for us and that we, those who are on that plant, can make the gospel known, make it clear. Having exhorted the Colossians to pray steadfastly with watchfulness and thanksgiving, for themselves and for those who are missionaries and church planters. Paul moves on to one last command in verse 5 where he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Now, when I was growing up, I was a bit recalcitrant in doing my homework or projects or anything else related to me sitting behind a desk and doing schoolwork after school. And we got a lot of homework when I was growing up. And my mother would regularly tell me, use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. Just do your schoolwork do your homework when you get home, and then you can go out and play with your friends. I want you to know that now, 40 years later, my wife tells me, if you would just do your sermon, you could go out and play with your friends. (laughs) Things haven't changed. Paul, likewise, is telling the Colossians, prioritize your time well, because guys, your time on earth is short. He wants them to make the best use of their time by walking in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, to me, that's sort of an unhelpful statement. What does that look like? What does it mean, walk in wisdom? And because we're preaching it at this last piece, instead of going through the whole letter, it's not in context. But I want you to know that Paul doesn't leave them alone with what walking in wisdom looks like. So, Paul tells them tells the church in chapter 2 and 3 he's going there what it looks like he gives them examples of what wisdom looks like and what a lack of wisdom would look like and he's telling them there walk this way and don't walk this way in chapter 2 verses 5 and 7 through 7 paul tells the colossians to read that he rejoices in seeing the good order and firmness of their faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what Paul is saying here, and what is he talking about? I believe the key... To, to where Paul's going here, starts in verse 5, and it is that he rejoices in the firmness of their faith. When you think about it, how did you receive Jesus? In faith. How's anyone received Jesus? Well, it's in faith. So Paul tells them, you received Jesus in faith, now walk in faith. This is how you started your faith, Now walk out your Christian life in faith. That's what walking in wisdom means. This is the best use of your time, to walk in faith toward outsiders. He continues, he says, that they're to be rooted and built up in Christ. Now, he's talking not just to an individual, but to a whole church, because that's what it takes for us to be rooted and built up. It takes a whole church of us. We're strengthened and built up in Christ with one another. So we're to walk wisely in faith with one another. Friends, that's true for us today. Walking in wisdom towards outsiders means we are to walk in faith. Now, walking in wisdom, walking in faith can be an uncomfortable place. You and your family will come in contact with people. If you're dealing with outsiders, you're going to come in contact with people who believe things and who do things that you would prefer not to have your family experience. That's a place where it can create fear because it's the unknown. But I want to say that we're not to live in fear. That Christ conquered fear. That Christ has you in the palm of his hand. And nothing can take you out. It's what we sung about today. So we're to be discerning, but we're not to be living in fear. And Paul points out to them, to kind of almost drive this point home, I think, in, verses, in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says to the Colossians, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled with him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So think about that for just a second. The full deity of God dwells in Christ. And who dwells in you? As a believer, Christ dwells in you. The full deity of God dwells in Christ. Christ dwells in you. And Christ said, I've given you all authority. That was the last thing he told his disciples. I've given you all authority heaven and earth. That's pretty amazing. The full deity of God dwells in Christ. Christ dwells in me, and he says, you've got that authority. When we go and present the gospel, when we go to places that could cause us fear, when we're afraid of the people that we're engaging with and what might happen to our family if we engage with them, remember, you go forward with the full deity of God in Christ. You go forward with Christ in you. Amen? Amen. That's got to change the way you think about how you bring the gospel forward and the places you go into. It is how Paul felt. It's why Paul was able to say, look, they may destroy this body, but they can't change Christ in me. It doesn't change who I am and who I will be in the eyes of Christ and where eternity will be spent. That allows you to walk in confidence to places I would not normally go. And that's how we're called to live. In chapter 3, Paul's going to keep going on with this idea. He's going to say, hey, here's an example. He gives us a comparison. In chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, Paul first says, this is how you once walked. And he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. Because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And he reminds them, this is how you once lived. So don't be judging other people. This is how you live too. But for the grace of God. But for God intervening in your life. You were living that way too. But now put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Because that's not how you're supposed to be living. These are the characteristics of the outsiders. So let us be clear. We were all once outsiders. And had someone not prayed, had someone not shared the gospel with us, we would still be outsiders. So walk in a way that is wise and not unwise. The comparison Paul gives a few verses later He says, just a few verses down, we are to walk with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all, we are to put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. So with all that background, Paul exhorts the Colossians, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of your time. And then he moves to his final explanation of what that looks like. And he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So let me give you this. Have you ever experienced anyone who had a near-death or a life-death experience, what happens to that person? Now, not all of them, but most of them are dramatically changed. They have a completely new understanding of what their priorities should be. Their lifestyle often changes dramatically. Many of them put together something called a bucket list. as those who have been placed, as those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's a picture of us. Those whose lives have been changed dramatically, whose priorities have been completely switched around, who have a whole new way of what they're looking at and what they're going after. There shouldn't be any satisfaction in the way we once lived. We have been given a new outlook on life that requires a new way of living. Like a person who has been given a new lease on life, we need to recognize that the time is short and precious. So what's in your bucket list? Does your bucket list include steadfast prayer? Does it include you walking wisely towards outsiders? If you had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and only given a few weeks to live and someone offered you a new drug, a drug that would literally overnight destroy the cancer in your body and give you new life, would you be interested in receiving that information? Well, for those of you who have had cancer or experienced family members with cancer and lost family members to cancer, I bet the answer is yes. And if overnight it completely changed you and you were completely healed and the cancer was gone, and the doctor said, I don't get it, it worked, yeeha, you are clear. Would you want to tell anybody about that? Or would you just hold it in? Got mine. I don't believe you would. I believe you would be telling everyone. You would want everyone to know the hope that they had in this new wonder drug. And yet the reality is that every person on this planet is dying of stage four cancer. It's called sin. But you received the cure. You got the wonder drug that overnight completely changed your existence. They gave you the hope of eternal life. How can you not tell them? How can you not? How can you let them die and go to hell? Because that's where they're going. Remember where we started? They're gonna go to hell forever. you know the cure. So the truth is that Jesus must affect your life. It's got to change everything about you. And that's what Paul tells them. Walk wisely. Walk with gracious speech. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. And I don't mean that you're like, look, when you go to work, I don't want you to go to work and, and you walk from desk to desk and tell people you need to know Jesus and so let's talk about the gospel and da-da-da-da because you're not going to work there by lunchtime. That, that's just the reality of that. I mean, that's not what you're called to do. So what does it look like? It means that, that all about the way you live, it changes and affects your decision-making process. It's not okay to take a box of pens from the office and bring them home for your personal use because that's stealing. It's not okay to talk about... Sally in the next desk down while you're over at the water cooler and about how short short her skirt is and the way she looks. That's not okay. And it's not okay to gossip about Bob and his new affair that he's having. Because Christ made us different. And all of those things should in fact cause us to want to pray for every one of those people. And when we're at the cooler, instead of engaging in gossip, we change the conversation. We shift it. Maybe it means that just how we approach a business and the way we run a business isn't the way those around us run, that we really do believe that we are here to help people and do things well and not just for the money, and that customers are people. And a lot of them are broken people who need to know Jesus Christ. And so maybe in this really weird scenario of the company you run, you actually pray for your customers. Maybe you're a salesperson and you have a list of people that you have been given by the company who desperately need to know Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity because they've given you the list to walk through and pray that list every day. And then be watchful and see if God gives you opportunities. To share the gospel with them. That's how it can affect your life and in the workplace. And those are just practical and I know because I, I, that's how I work. That's how I do it. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I can't, in the army, I couldn't tell people about the gospel unless they asked. But man, I could pray for everybody on that roster. And I did. And time and time again, God would give me opportunity. Somebody would ask me, just flat out ask me, why do you believe in Jesus? Game on. Let's go. I got a wide open door, let me tell you. And so that's how you live. That's what this looks like. I don't have this stuff down. I mess up all the time. I work for Paul, ask him, I am just terrible at this. I get angry, I get frustrated. Things don't go well. I don't respond the way I should. But I do know the Holy Spirit is active. It reminds me that I just said something I shouldn't. In a voice, I shouldn't. And there's forgiveness, and there's opportunities to walk back to people and say, I'm sorry, that wasn't right. I didn't deal with you in a right attitude. And that is just as strong a message. That's also the gospel, affecting how we live and work among other people. Amen? If I could have the worship team come up. So practically, what does this look like for us? Be steadfast in prayer. Take time to pray. Pray for the leaders in the church. Pray for your family members. Pray for lost people you know. I would just encourage you today: get a three by five card and write down five people that you or know are lost. Just just five. And during the week, you pray for those people and ask for opportunities. And ask for the ability to give a clear message of the gospel. Come out on Wednesday night and pray corporately. Come on a Sunday morning and pray with us. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Gracious speech in our homes. I need to work on that really bad. Gracious speech in our home. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, but make an example for your children. Intentionally take Christ into your workplace in some of the ways that we just talked about. Let me put a a plug-in here also for July 2nd. July 2nd, we're going to start an outreach group meeting. Um, July 2nd is a Sunday. We're only going to meet for like 15 minutes. But if you're interested in learning about evangelism, discipleship, or just generally how to do outreach, come to that meeting. And we're going to put into place some stuff for the next year of how we're going to move forward. Okay? I really invite you, if you're not sure how this stuff works, if you're clueless what you should say to somebody, come talk to me today. Show up on the seconds, two weeks from now. If I could uh, have Paul come up and, and lead us uh, for communion. Before we do that, if you would just allow me to pray for us. Father, Lord, if you would be so good this week, as to open our eyes to the truth of this message? Lord, would you give us hearts that are soft and compassionate? Father, would you make us like Jesus who looked over Jerusalem, even though they knew they were about to crucify him, he looked over it and wept over Jerusalem for their hard hearts. Oh God, break our hearts. And then give us a passion For prayer, give us a passion, Lord God, for your gospel. Lord, to take it to our neighbors, to take it into the workplace, to take it to the utter ends of the earth, wherever you would call us. Lord, may we be committed to follow you. And to boldly make known the mystery of the gospel wherever you give us that open door. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.